Aalto University Podcast. In its essence, this idea of safer spaces is really about very basic things and respect in social interaction and just addressing and valuing each individual as they are and making room for mistakes and learning. Future-led learning. One of the concrete actions in Aalto University's current strategy is focusing on holistic well-being. One point of this is understanding diversity and inclusion as essential parts of the well-being of our community. What does inclusion in higher education teaching mean in practice? Let's find out. My colleague, Aalto Pedagogical Specialist, Sara Renkanen interviewed freelancer Kia Bailinson, who teaches at Aalto University School of Arts, Design and Architecture and has extensive experience with this topic from in and outside of academia. My name is Rika Evans and this is Future-Led Learning. Welcome aboard. So warmly welcome Kia Bailinson to Aalto Future-Led Learning podcast. Kia, you are a freelancer in design, art and cultural field, teaching at Aalto University, at the School of Arts, Design and Architecture, more precisely in the Department of Media in Visual Communication Design. And in addition, you are a co-founder of MÜS, which is a volunteer-based uh, non-profit cultural organization and collective that focuses on promoting equality, accessibility and safer spaces in electronic music and club culture. Would you like to tell us more about your own background? Thank you, Sara. Yeah, so I've studied graphic design as a bachelor and visual communication design as a master's student in Aalto between 2011 to 2021. So I just recently graduated. Congratulations. Thank you. I wrote my MA thesis called A White Preset, which is in Finnish. Uh, it's about whiteness and structural racism in visual communication design in Finland. And I started teaching in Aalto last year, substituting my professor Arja Karhuma in a bachelor course called Critical Reading Circle. And now we have planned and facilitated a course at UWAS, the University-wide Art Studies together with me, Alaine, called Decolonize Your Studies. And yeah, I took the pedagogical course because I wanted to learn more about teaching, I guess. Yeah, that was the last time we, we met again on mm, this pedagogical right. course. And and you had some like amazing viewpoints and you taught us all during that course a lot about safer spaces in teaching and about inclusion. And, and that's what we're talking about here today. Um, and you said safer instead of safe spaces, kind of terminological question, maybe. Could you tell tell us more about that and, and why safer? Why not safe? Sure. So uh, safe space is a term that dates back to the 1960s, United States. So the time of women's movement. And it refers to providing a space for people belonging to a particular group. So this could be feminist groups or LGBTQI+, or racialized people. And this 
safe space was kind of used for positive exclusion to provide these spaces to converse and interact uh, free from this societal prejudice and oppression and violence. So like for people who face discrimination in a societal level, it's taking capacity from learning because you like constantly have to deal with the possibility of oppression or verbal violence or whatever while you're studying. So you can't really fully focus on what you're doing because you still have to be like, yeah, in this state of distress. So these safe spaces kind of gave the gave the space for people belonging to a particular group to come together and discuss whatever they wanted to discuss free from hmm, free from these structures. So when we use term safer space, we take into account that different people may need different things to feel safe. So it's impossible to provide public spaces that would cover everyone's personal needs equally at all times. But we can strive for that. And safer space is an active space, again, striving to cover some basic needs and constantly work towards the well-being and safety of all. And this wording also recognizes that we all fail at times, but we can still learn from our mistakes and from each other to create these safer spaces for all of us together as a shared responsibility. Future-led learning. I have to confess that I'd like to say that, yes, I'm very, I, I, I know a lot about the topic, but Actually, there's a lot to learn already when it comes to the concepts and terminology. Um, inclusion, uh, inclusiveness, equality, uh, equity. Um, I don't even know if I pronounced that right, but, but um, how do you understand the terms and how do how would you define them or separate them or what, what should we know? It's true, like the vocabulary is kind of emerging and I feel like I've learned so many new words uh, within the last five years. Uh, following the discourse. But inclusion is this active verb that needs to be challenged. So there's always like inclusion for whom and by whom, on what basis and who gets to decide who gets included or who is uh, taken into consideration when talking about inclusion. And how are these like norms and personal bias affecting teaching and learning in higher education? Is the curriculum in- inclusive? Is there diverse representation in staff as well as in the student body? Are the classrooms and teaching accessible in all aspects such as physical, social, economical or mental? And the difference uh, with the ideas of equality and equity So to build up equality, we need to practice equity. Equality is the goal. And then we need to kind of level things up for reaching equal states because we are not equal in this society at the moment. And I think, again, in Finland, there's this general idea of intent that every citizen should have an equal access to higher education Uh, regardless of their gender or background or race, class. But it's not as widely acknowledged how these characteristics affect the changes of operating in society or perceiving higher education as an opportunity to even pursue 
so aspiring an academic education or career might not be seen as a realistic alternative for a person with, say, working class or immigrant background due to multiple reasons, lack of representation and role models being just one of them. What does it take to build or enhance equity? The practice of building equity takes into consideration the variety of obstacles that may challenge or prevent individuals from being perceived as equal to the majority. And this, of course, requires research and understanding of the impacts of the variety of discrimination people are facing due to how they are pursued by society or how they are differing from the quote-unquote norm. One example of increasing equity could be using quota and anonymity in the uh, recruitment process or uh, eliminating structural discrimination or personal bias from these processes in any ways we can think of. Of course, language is important, so prioritizing sometimes or vocalizing specific non-normative qualities and needs in communications and making that entire process and environment somehow like transparent and accessible and available and welcoming at all levels for various minority groups. Future-led learning. Uh, if we now thought more about your role as a teacher mm. in, in higher education, what specific challenges have you encountered? related to this topic? Well, I have not been teaching for too long yet. So apart from the challenges emerging from the pandemic situation, I think I've mostly faced challenges as a student so far. But uh, one very apparent challenge for me as a as an emerging uh, teacher is acknowledging the power dynamics that are present in the classroom at all times. And understanding that being a teacher is a position of power and that I have the responsibility to work that position in a mindful way. And there is this hierarchy present and I need to facilitate the situation so that the students feel comfortable sharing their ideas with me and the rest of the class. And I think that's like the most important thing in at least in these classes that I'm teaching, which are very much based on uh, conversation and changing ideas. And I think being a teacher is also being a student. So there's there needs to be a will and ways to be able to learn and improve and reflect on your actions and, and your work. How about what what sort of, even as, as from your teacher role or as a student, uh, what kind of solutions have you found to those challenges? As I said, I try to reflect yeah. <laughs> constantly. I don't know. Uh, lately, I've been thinking a little bit about imposter syndrome and how it affects sometimes you're working at least in new situations or something that you don't have so much experience of yet. But I feel it's also a very important tool to kind of help reflect in these situations and keep yourself not not like in a paralyzing way, but keep kind of that healthy self-criticism there. So you don't get too comfortable with like how you how you operate in those situations. But yeah, personal reflection is very important for me in this work. Also acknowledging the power dynamics and 
the personal advantages that I have or privileges that I have in life and in society in general. And there's actually a great illustrated infographic drawn by Sylvia Duckworth that I found on social media that's called uh, Wheel of Power slash Privilege. And that can be a helpful tool to kind of check where you fit in that uh, wheel. So my personal privileges working in Aalto or working in a Finnish educational institution include such things as being a Finnish citizen, being native to the Finnish language, being able-bodied, slim, university educated, coming from a middle-class background, having light skin with proximity to whiteness, although I'm also a person of color. And yeah, I'm personally taking the habit of starting each course with founding safer space principles for classroom conversation together with the students. Another good practice to assure self-determination for everyone is to ask students to present their names and their preferred pronouns on the introduction round, especially when uh, the teaching is happening in English. And yeah, refer to each student as they prefer to be referred to as instead of relying on the official registers or assumptions. And I think it's also good to address who the students can contact in case of concerns or conflict. It can be like yourself as a teacher, as well as a reliable external contact. And I think in Aldo there are these contexts that can be shared, or it could be a teacher that's in charge of the course as well. Um, like a lot of kind of preventive work, a lot of about communication that you can do beforehand instead of like trying to make things better when kind of the mm. it's already gone to a wrong direction yeah yeah i think it's a lot about that like planning how yeah. to build a ground basically exactly uh, yeah future-led learning what should everybody do? What can I do to learn, to be able to reflect more on my own own actions every day? Where to find more information? I can just say the internet. <laughs> That's the easiest way. Google no. it. But we can, yeah, we can definitely start with ourselves and examine how like our personal characteristics impact the ways that we are seen and treated in educational spaces and in society at large. And we can practice empathy by imagining how things would be different if we were of different gender or race or ethnicity or class, ability, weight, height, age, health, sexuality, background. That's a list a few. So this is also a listening exercise, I guess, to listen to other people's experiences and try and relate. We can, of course, practice solidarity when we face unfair situations for others and educate ourselves on the realities faced by people who are not alike us. So, yeah, getting that information or being interested in things that might not be directly from our own perspective. We can uh, learn to see things we share in common with each other as well as the things that we don't and learn to appreciate and find value in those differences. 
that make us unique and hold specific kind of knowledge only available to those with a lived experience. Future-led learning. And there are a lot of educators and agencies who can help with the equality and equity work on organizational level in Finland. Just to mention a few, at least ATA agency, Day Day, Ruskeatytöt organization, Inclusive are companies doing work on these issues. But I would also like to see more support and resources, uh, meaning time and money and platforms for the students and the staff to raise their concerns and have agency in shaping the university for a more inclusive and just future. And I think the essence of higher education as a hub for fostering quote-unquote civilization is failing a bit if we fail to address the discriminative structures within it and to overcome the obstacles that prevent a large group of people to take part in it. Those were wise words. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like the general idea in Finland as a society, but also in in the education here, is that it's kind of quote-unquote finished the equality of it. It's free and it's available for all. And that's great, of course. But still, education is also something that is part of the society at large. And the society is affected by structural uh, oppressive discriminative systems such as racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, ableism, class discrimination, etc. And I feel like it's great that we talk about the things we've accomplished as a society for equality, but there are still problems. I, I feel like the strive for equality should be like an active state where we constantly see where we are still lacking equality and inclusivity. There's this illusion of equality, and that's why we often fail to recognize the needs of the people who have still not been part of that conversation or discourse. And for a long time, the conversation and struggle for equality has revolved around rather binary gender equality and women's rights and Intersectional feminism, which is a term coined by Kimberle Crenshaw, has kind of helped to look at the multitude of intersections that can affect our experiences and bring challenges and specific needs in navigating the world and these systems that have been designed for particular kind of people and bodies. I kind of would like to end to what you just said. Would you like to add any like podcast or books or readings that you would still like to recommend? Yes, what I shared also in pedagogy course, there is a great tool kit called Feminist Pedagogy for Teaching online. There's also research done by Lynn Holly and Sue Steiner called Safe Space, Student Perspectives on Classroom Environment. If teachers are interested to find out more about how safer spaces work in classrooms. And within Aalto, I would like to recommend these initiatives that seem super interesting and quite recent. There is one called Crisis Interrogatives. There's also Feminist Futures who organize hackathons. And there's a group called Color of Science that are worth checking out and following their their work here. 
you said you said that if teachers are interested, shouldn't or should we be interested and and why and how to also get along those who are maybe not interested in this topic of inclusion in higher education? Right. I think everyone should be interested uh, in making the classroom as as safe as possible, mainly because it uh, enhances learning. <laughs> So when you're in Lin Holly and Sue Steiner are are saying that the metaphor of the classroom as a safe space has emerged as a description of a classroom climate that allows students to feel secure enough to take risks, honestly express their views and share and explore their knowledge, attitudes and behaviors. And I keep quoting Safety in this sense does not refer to physical safety. Instead, classroom safe space refers to protection from psychological or emotional harm. A safe safe classroom space is one in which students are able to openly express their individuality, even if it differs dramatically from the norms set by the instructor, the profession or other students. And this does not uh, mean the same as being comfortable So to grow and learn, students must confront issues that make them uncomfortable and force them to struggle with who they are and what they believe. Yeah, so facilitating safer spaces for learning lightens the stress of social interaction or chance of encountering microaggression among students belonging to these uh, quote-unquote minority groups. And practicing safer space policies also increases understanding and sensitivity to different perspectives and builds trust among the class to encourage these deeper and more meaningful interactions. And that way increases the potential of also creativity in learning, I would say. So basically, if I if I hear you correctly, we're also talking about more effective learning, more effective teaching not just something that is something that is nice to do or good to do but this all, all comes down to we're talking about effective learning which yes. is our like ultimate goal yes that's right yeah in its essence this idea of safer spaces is really about very basic things and respect in social interaction and just addressing and valuing each individual as they are and making room for mistakes and learning so i guess that's very the essence of teaching. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Thank you, Kia. Thank you, Sara. The Future-Led Learning Podcast is part of Alta University's Oasis of Radical Wellbeing. This time your host was Sara Rönkkönen and the episode was produced by me, Sakari Heiskonen. It included music by Siddhartha Courses and the Future-Led Learning theme by Sagerson. Thank you for listening. All the University Podcasts.